Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 68th episode of the Diverse Minds Podcast. And today's show is all about talking about race and work. And are you still scared of talking about race in the workplace? I've been delivering so much training on this topic, but the one thing that still keeps coming up time and time again is being too scared to talk about race and, of course, saying the wrong thing. Now, I realise you don't want to get it wrong, particularly in a professional work context, but not talking about race and systemic advantages and the system and the structures that have created the concept of race or pretending or hoping it will go away isn't going to work. I hate to break it to you. I think the problem is if we don't talk about the subject of race inequalities and systemic injustice, things will just persist and they don't magically go away. And you need to care about this because if you really want to realise the aims as an individual or in your role or as an organisation at large, the aims and objectives that you've set for yourself around improving outcomes for staff from different diverse racial backgrounds, then getting familiar with language, knowing when and how to talk about race and having honest dialogue is a pivotal part of this process. So perhaps you're the kind of person who's really terrified of using the wrong language. So you carry on as before because it's really scary and you just don't want to rock the boat or say anything or feel as if you're rocking the boat. Or maybe you feel like you don't really have permission to talk about equalising the playing fields or things that are going on in your workplace in relation to race. So you leave it for senior people to do this because, again, you don't want to rock the boat and you don't want to be seen to be talking out of turn. Or maybe you work in an organisation where you don't see the need uh, for, to talk about this because everyone gets on really well and maybe there aren't many staff of colour or diverse staff in terms of race. So it's all good. So why do you need to talk about this? Or maybe you're the kind of person that you're waiting for guidance and a script line by line from the people team or HR before doing this. But once you have that script, you'll commence. Or conversely, maybe you are telling everyone to start talking about race. Let's all be talking about race. But actually, no one really knows how to do this because it's never been on the table before. So people start talking about race. They might start talking about their feelings, about the events that have happened that caused this particular movement of Black Lives Matter. And then offence is caused and it does get out of hand in terms of how people feel and if they've been upset. And then people say, you see, this is why we don't talk about race, because I don't want to get it wrong. So there is a lot to consider. But don't forget, at the end of this episode and in the show notes, if this is something that resonates with you, that you can check out my quick form to help you shape training or what you need in your workplace. But based on my experience, there are things that you can do to start this conversation, to continue the conversation, because it's all very well starting it, but this needs to be continued and it's not one and done. So in terms of power and privilege and what we see in the workplace, talking about race isn't simply a case of asking nosy questions or starting a conversation out of context. They're things that we absolutely need to consider. So the first question I'd like to ask you is how comfortable do you feel talking about race? On a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is desperately uncomfortable and 10 is totally comfortable. This is likely to depend on our cultural background, how we grew up, where we grew up and how these conversations took place. And in fact, which country we grew up in as well, because that's really going to influence the conversation. The second question is, when did you become cognizant of your race? How did you know you were in a majority group, minority group, in group, out group? When did you first become cognizant? 
And I'd like you just to have a think about that. Because talking about race, it's really important. And if we avoid talking about race, it actually feels more uncomfortable and it causes more problems in the long run, which is, I think, what we've seen in the UK, which is why this particular wave of Black Lives Matter brought things to a forefront, because we haven't been having those conversations in the workplace. And often what happens is pushback. The key themes from white majority cultures seem to be, in my experience, having never experienced racism, not feeling any bias, so everyone must be okay. We work in a happy, diverse environment, right? That race equality initiatives are outdated and old-fashioned, something for the 70s, um, not the 2020s. That events like Black History Month, and I encountered this a lot at university, were drawing undue attention to black people. And that feedback very rarely, if ever, came from black communities. And the use of the word race is redundant and unnecessary. Now, yes, I do realise that we are all one race. And as I've said before, our skin colour is simply our casing. We don't function any differently. But we have to talk about race because of the system that was created due to colonialism and forced movement of people and a hierarchy and the medicalization of black bodies and the lies that were told about what people could or couldn't do based on their skin colour. So we have to talk about race, even though in actual fact, yes, it should be redundant and it should be unnecessary. But sadly, that's absolutely not the case. And then what about the language of race um, and feeling comfortable or uncomfortable about using certain terms? And again, this will change depending on someone's generational background, their lived experience and the country they grew up in. And if you're interested in language, do check out episode about to BAME or not to BAME, where I talk about the term black and minority ethnic and go into more detail about the language of race. But potentially it might be that. How do we define others and how do we define ourselves? So I think if you do want to talk to someone about how they define themselves, it does need to be in context and to not sort of make a decision about how someone might define themselves. So the terms that I will use are interchangeable. I will use person of colour, staff of colour. I will use global majority, um, which is a term that Gus John brought to the forefront, which summarises the fact that as people of colour, if I can use that term, we're actually in fact a global majority. If we think about the continent of Africa, the number of Chinese people in the world, the population of India, the continent of South America, actually people of colour make up the global majority. And I will also use BAME occasionally if I'm trying to make a point or working with certain sectors that use this term and feel more comfortable with it. I think one of the things is that people say, well, I don't want to use the wrong thing, so I'm not going to say anything. But you can say, oh, in our organisation or in this team, we're using the term BAME. Let's have a discussion about it at a team meeting. Do we think this is right? Do we think this is fit for purpose? And what can we feed back if we don't feel we have power in ourselves? But what can we feed back to people above us? But also saying this is the term that we're used to. Let's say you're having a meeting or with external partners or certain clients or customers or even people from other parts of the business. This is the term we're used to using. What term do you prefer to use and what's more helpful to you? And let people self-identify and define. And that's absolutely fine. You're not saying I know it all and you're also not assuming that that catch-all term or the term that you're used to using is going to be fit for everyone. So that's a way to start talking about race. And also, if you want to talk to someone, it's just to say, you know, this is my understanding. This is my knowledge. Uh, I'm not asking you to educate me. I'm not making you responsible for that. But I just wanted to give you some context and also some opportunity to talk about this so that I can make sure that I am making this environment as inclusive as possible. So again, you're not putting the onus on that person, but you're also opening up that dialogue. So remember the stages and faces of racism. There's the individual level, 
institutional level and structural level. Now, at the individual level, many people would say, I'm not racist. But remember, it's about the term, are you anti-racist? So the wonderful Ibrahim X. Kendi talks about this. And what are the constant actions that you are taking to understand how you might benefit from certain systems? And what are the actions that you're taking to make sure that you're combating them or you're being anti-racist, you're calling things out, you're realising how certain people are disadvantaged and other people are advantaged? and making sure that things don't go unrecognised. So that's really important. Then the institutional level. So policies and procedures, they're probably very well written. They match legal best practice often, even though they may or may not be legal documents. But it's how they are applied and how they're often applied inconsistently towards black and global majority groups. And then, of course, we have the structural racism. So the way structures have been set up to benefit people from white majority backgrounds, and they've been designed to exclude or make life very difficult for people from black and global majority backgrounds. And what we're likely to see in the workplace, I think, is two areas of indifference and minimization. So this is often why people can say, well, I'm not racist, but are you anti-racist? And anti-racist would be challenging some of these indifferent areas. So when people say things like, oh, you know, politics doesn't affect me, or this is getting really political around Black Lives Matter and people kneeling at football matches, not challenging racist jokes, saying things like, oh, you know, there are two sides to every story. Are you sure they meant it that way? So those are things around indifference and and not believing the experience of staff of colour, black global majority groups, and not acknowledging that there's a plurality of experience. So things like, well, my black friend said that they've never had any problems here. And that's brilliant if that's the case. But of course, that's not going to be everyone's black experience or everyone who identifies as being from a global majority background's experience. And then, of course, minimisation. So things like, oh, it was just a joke. You need to learn to chill out. Not all white people are like that, you know. I think you just need to get over slavery. It's not really that, it's not happening anymore. And why do we need to keep apologising for slavery? And I've heard that said many times. Denial of systemic advantage or white privilege. And then also things like veiled racism. So cultural appropriation, Eurocentric curriculum. People saying things like, oh, well, I'm colourblind, I don't see colour. Things like bootstrap theory, where people say, well, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce, they're really rich and they're from uh, black community, African-American community. So if they can do it, you can too, without thinking about the wider picture of racism. So if you really want to start to talk about race, one of the things is to think about microaggressions. Now, microaggressions are defined as brief and commonplace verbal or behavioural outward displays that communicate hostile, exclusionary, derogatory or negative prejudicial slights and insults towards any group. So we're talking about it here in the context of race, but it could be about anything. It could be gender, it could be disability, it could be marital status, it could be socioeconomic status, and it could be all of the above. And it could be intentional or it could be unintentional. But remember, the key here is it's the impact and how it's received by the recipient. That's essential to note. So some of the examples of microaggressions, being subtly sidelined or ignored by colleagues because of your race or culture, assuming that you don't want to go to things without being asked. Questions like, oh, where are you from? Where are you really from? And someone says London and they might be South Asian. And it's like you have to divulge your whole cultural heritage and family tree. I think you need experience, said to black staff who've been in a role for several years and trained colleagues underneath them, seen them rise up through the ranks. And when they want a promotion, they're told, well, I think you need more experience. 
touching black hair without permission, asking questions like, oh, does Asian skin go pale? Does black skin tan? Questions that you really don't need to ask in the workplace. Asking women when they're going to have children, so thinking about that wider context, and prying into someone's disability. For example, oh, what's happened to you then? If someone's a wheelchair user, they might have a hearing aid or they're using uh, a visual aid stick. Now, of course, there are times we want to make environments more accessible and approachable uh, for people. And I think this is the thing. With microaggressions for me, are you asking questions for the benefit of yourself because you're being nosy and you think you have the right to know? And it's more likely to be received as a hostile, negative or prejudicial insult and creating a hostile environment. Or are you asking for the benefit of the individual? So, for example, in relation to disability, it would be, are there any access requirements or are there any adjustments we need to make in order to enable you to do your job to your best ability? So there's a very different flavour to that. And there are lots of reasons why people don't have children or they don't want children. And again, to ask those questions out of nosiness or to assume there's a quote unquote normal standard is really unhelpful. And again, we don't want to make people who have experienced microaggressions that are very painful and can, when they go on, and many of us from global majority black backgrounds have experienced them, um, there's a great video called Why Microaggressions Are Like Mosquito Bites. So you can handle one, but when it's constant, 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 is like that phrase, death by a thousand cuts. So we need to not make people divulge information that's, or divulge things that have made them feel very upset and that have been very triggering. But to say, right, we need to explore the things that are going on in the team, in the department, in the organisation that could create this environment across the board and how we're going to challenge them openly. So that's a way of talking about race and that's a way of talking about creating a positive environment. So think about that. And if people do want to share them, you could ask people to share examples anonymously and look at them and say, okay, well, this can't happen anymore. How are we going to add this to a professional environment, our team charters, and make sure that people understand the impacts of their words. And also if someone's called out on something that they've said, that there can be a professional conversation and that person doesn't think that they're being attacked, but they're actually say, okay, thank you so much for telling me. I didn't realize that was the impact. That wasn't the intention, but I absolutely hear where you're coming from. I won't do that again. And I genuinely do apologize. And or, you know what, I know you didn't realise that you said it in that way, but actually this is the impact it has on me. This is how it's made me feel. Just to let you know, I'd really appreciate it if we, you know, you don't phrase something like that. Okay, great. Thank you so much for telling me. Absolutely. Won't happen again. I'll make a note of it, etc. So we know that mistakes happen. And don't be afraid of making those, you know, don't think that you're going to get it right 100% of the time. None of us do. Even professionals, people like me who've been working in this area for a long time, we still make mistakes, but it's about acknowledging it, taking it on board. And how are you going to integrate it then into the future work that you do? And don't try and reason the experience either. So if someone wants to talk to you about microaggression or a difficult um, experience they've had, it's not to say things like, are you sure they meant it that way? There are two sides to every story. Or in my opinion, I don't think they were being racist. These are difficult things. And often if people talk about and convey their experience of racism, maybe there's a part of us that wants to solve it and go in and say, oh gosh, this feels really uncomfortable. I wouldn't say something like that. I'm sure they didn't mean it like, like that. But it is about sitting and listening and feeling really uncomfortable and also reflecting on how that has impacted people and whether you might have said something similar. 
And things like, we don't tolerate racism here. Well, that is great, but I don't know of any organisation that has a completely zero tolerance policy, particularly around bullying um, or around racism. So they might have it in words, but when it happens, where is the zero tolerance? And don't forget to check out my episode with Chloe Goff, where we talk about anti-bullying initiatives that really work. And we talk more about preparedness and how organisations can really create a zero tolerance environment. And things like, oh, we work very hard to minimise racism here. Well, that's great. But if someone's conveying an experience, please don't say that. Or derailing the focus and, and things like, oh, we have so many initiatives here. You know, just, just put a sock in it. Well, initiatives are great. But what about the lived experience? And it's very crucial to acknowledge someone's lived experience or someone's experience or negative experiences that they have encountered. Derolling the focus to become wider, things like working class people have it worse, you know. Now, we absolutely need to be talking about socioeconomic status, access and deprivation. But I don't think one supersedes the other. We can talk about race, we can talk about class, we can talk about gender, we can talk about socioeconomic status. One doesn't have to uh, take priority. In fact, it does need to be a package. And remember, we always need to be thinking about intersectionality. I'm not sure that any medium to large organisations has totally cracked this, so talking about race and not being afraid to do so. Or also starting the conversation about race and, and not being facilitated properly and it all becoming a real mess. And then saying, oh, well, we tried and we're not going to do that again. I think perhaps smaller organisations and solopreneurs have this cracked. I mean, we're very lucky when we're solopreneurs how we do this. But the benefits of doing this are around better collaboration, understanding barriers that staff might face in customers, service users and clients. And if we can understand the barriers staff of colour and global majority black staff face, we can then start to consider organisations, you can start to consider, OK, it's not, a, it's not about using this phrase hard to reach, but what are we not doing well enough and what do we need to do more of? And how are people going to really see that we're committed to the agenda? So it is about being able to be a genuine ally and not simply ticking a box and thinking, oh, I've done a 90 minute training session. That's great. And don't forget to check out my episode about how training is not a panacea because it's not. It's part of the bigger journey. And this is absolutely the same. It's not one conversation and done, but it's and it's also not about, oh, well, let's add something on our team agenda at the end. The last point, equality and diversity. It is about saying, okay, this is the agenda and how does equality, diversity and inclusion fit into all of the things that we're talking about? Because it will, whether it's access, whether it's about sociological risk assessments, um, about how different customers and clients will access services um, or buy products or whatever it is, it's going to be a feature of everything. So it's really important not to put it as a bolt on. To keep learning and making sure that this is an iterative process, not a one and done, as I like to say. And just reiterating, it's about acknowledging mistakes that you need to accept them and move on. So what have we covered today? We've talked about, yes, there's been this wave of Black Lives Matter in June 2020, but are you still afraid of talking about race? Does it still feel really, really scary? Is it piecemeal or does it link to an overarching strategy? Why is it important for you as an individual, in your team, as an organisation? How can it be done? Don't forget that it's not about skin colour, simply about skin colour. Skin colour is the physical manifestation of the systemic injustice and how people were categorised according to the basis of their skin and therefore it still needs to be discussed. To not make people feel uncomfortable and push them to talk about this, but to be really ready to explore what's going on around you, having open conversations and, rem and remembering that you've got to keep talking about this, but in a facilitated way. So if it does feel too big and scary... 
then who else is there to help you start these conversations and to make it safe so that people can have a space to discuss this in a less judgmental way or making it safer than just start starting to talk about it. So I really hope you found this useful and don't forget to use the form, the links in the show notes about how I can help you. And I've mentioned some other podcasts as I've gone through that you might like to check out, including the one about racism and genuine allyship, to BAME or not to BAME, and culture and leadership might be a helpful resource for you too. So if you've enjoyed the show, why not leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and I really look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.